the podcast of the Doral Vineyard Church. This is a message by Denver Lee. The series Hide and Go Seek it has, has really taken us to a, f- a few different places, and we're reading out of Psalm 139, and in reading out of Psalm 139, I've, I've gotten a lot of questions as to how is it possible that we could talk about Christmas um, in Psalm 139, and uh, it's, it's, an, it's an interesting psalm because it has a, it has a lot of variety to it. Um, if, if you've been doing the daily Bible reading, thank you. If you've been doing the daily Bible readings through Psalm 139, um, you will see that uh, it, it is an interesting piece of scripture to go through in the life of Christ. And, and so if you have your Bibles with you, if you can turn it to Psalm 139, or if you have a, um, a te- telephone or iPad or something like that, um, our, our entire Christmas season is coming out of Psalm 139. And that's going to be especially difficult today, because today is supposed to be our Christmas celebration. But I'm going to talk about hate and death and blood vengeance and wrath. And, um, and it may not be the most um, off the bat. It may not seem to be Christmassy, uh, but just stay with me. Um, this, is, this is definitely going to go somewhere. Um, when I picked uh, Psalm 139 to, to go through for Advent, and as we're, we're celebrating the coming of the Lord, um, I, I knew that this last section of, of the psalm would be one that I would take up for Christmas. Um, and, and I kind of trembled a little bit, but I really felt that this is what the Lord was sharing. So we're going to do the best that we can today. So I just want to go through um, the first three weeks really quickly. Um, and and if, if you have Psalm 139 open— we, we started off reading from Psalm 139, verse 1 through 6, our first week, and we were talking about the omnipresence of God. So, so Christmas is about the omnipresence of God becoming the manifest presence of God. That's what Christmas is about. And, and, I, and, and I think this is really important, especially for a church with the fibers like what we have, where we talk about the presence of God a lot. Uh, we believe that anything that happens, that it happens because God is present. Like anything incredible that God does, any, any amazing thing that happens, we, we, we celebrate and we rejoice and we look for the presence of God because it is in the presence of God that all the things that God promises, they come to pass. And so um, David writes this psalm, Psalm 139, and no one knows exactly when David wrote the psalm, if, if it was while he was a shepherd or, or, or while he was a king, or we're not sure at what time frame David wrote the psalm, but I, I do have my, my own idea as to why I believe he wrote it before he was a king. Um, but he starts off talking about the omnipresence of God. And in, in Psalm 139, verse 1, David begins, and he says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know my sitting down, and you know my rising up, and you understand my thoughts afar. And David goes on to talk about the omnipresence of God, that God is everywhere, that God knows all, that God sees all, that no one can escape his, his thought, no one can escape his eye. And, and what we said in week one was that wherever you are, God is there. Wherever you are, God is there. Wherever you were, God is there. So if your, your history, God is in your history. God is in your past. Whether you believe in him at the time, whether you were following him or not, wherever you were, God is there. Wherever you are, God is there. And wherever you're going, God is there. So this is the omnipresence of God. He exists in all tenses of your life. And this is important because when we talk about making decisions for your life and following Jesus, who better to follow who better to talk to about your life than one who was in your past, who is in your present, and will be in your future? There's no one better to talk to. There's no one better to follow. There, there is no better counselor 
for your life than one who is all over the traces of your existence. Past, present, and future, he is in all of it. This is what the omnipresence means to us. Apart from God is with, you know, the tribes in Africa, God is with the people in China, God is, you know, when we talk about those things, it separates the personal relationship of what God is trying to present to us. He's in your past. He's in your present. He's in your future. Yes, he's in other countries with everyone else. But the purpose of the omnipresence that David picks up on in Psalm 139 is not just that God is in Europe and that God is in Australia and, and, and that he holds the whole world in his hand, that he places stars together. He says, yeah, he's in all those places. But personally, he's in my past. He knows where I've been. He knows where I am. And he knows where I'm going. And this is what makes the cross so amazing because God knows where I have been. Some of you know some places I've been. And for a God who knows where I've been, he, kn- he knows what I've done, he knows my history, and, and he knows where I am right now, and he knows where I am going. And with all that knowledge, he still chooses to become a person and to die for me. And that speaks immensely about who I am for a God who knows all that. The people who like you, they like you because you show them your good side, right? Like you, you're nice to, like, because they know. There's some people, if they find out some things about you, Okay, I'm probably the only one. There's some people who, there's some people, if they knew some things about you, they probably wouldn't be as close to you. And so you hide certain things in order to keep people close. And that's what this hide and go seek thing is about. It is about, there's nothing you hide from God. And this is what makes his decision for you so important and such a, such a, a beautiful thing when you look at the, the birth of Christ and the death of Christ and all that it means for us. And in the omnipresence of God, the focus on it is that God knows you. He knows where you were. He knows where you are. He knows where you've been. It's that God knows you is the focus of the omnipresent. And David finished the psalm by saying that it is so high high off that I can't attain it, right? This is how he he finishes in verse five and six. He says, I just can't attain, like, I just can't grab it. I, I can't grasp it. And because he couldn't reach the divinity of Christ, this is the prime state that exists for which God is ready to come to us. David says, I can't reach him. Like, I, I just can't understand how he could know so much about me and love me, and he just couldn't get it. And, and this, is, this is the real estate on which Jesus comes onto. And the second week, we went through verse 7 to 12, where we talked about God becoming present with us. And, and, and the emphasis there was that when we say the presence of God, we mean that the omnipresence of God, the God who is everywhere, has become the God who is here. Like, that is what we're talking about. When we say the presence of God, we're, t- we're talking about the majesty of God's knowledge, the majesty of his power. Everything that he is has become the person with us. And it is in the person of Jesus that the omnipresence of God intersects perfectly with the manifest presence of God. And it's for the purposes of us knowing what God is truly like. Like, that is the reason why. Je- Jesus comes and he takes the omnipresence of God and he condenses it into flesh and he becomes a person and we call that the, the, the manifest presence of God. And it's for the purposes that you would know what God is like. So God knows what you're like because he's omnipresent. You know what God is like because he's manifest present. So it's in Jesus that you know what God is like. God is omnipresent, so he knows you. And love cannot exist only because someone knows you. Right? I know that with Facebook, we think that. Right? Someone could just follow my pictures and see my posts and be like, I know him. I know her. That's not true. Right? Like, you don't know someone. You don't know, like, like you don't know celebrities because you follow the tabloids. Like, you don't, you may know about them, but you don't know them. Right? Like, I know a lot of stuff about some people, but like, I don't know them personally. 
Right? Like, like if, you, if you read enough books and like, and you don't know, you know about them. But in, in, in the omnipresence, you can know about God. But it's in the manifest presence that you could really know him personally. This is why Jesus comes so that you can know what God is like. And Jesus is God in the flesh. Like this is, this is one of the high points of Christian doctrine, that Jesus is God in the flesh, and, and it's the purposes of why he becomes God in the flesh that Christmas is really about. And in the third week, last week, uh, we went from verse 13 to 18, and we talked about how God formed you. I only got to like two verses. Uh, we spent like an hour on, on just two verses, and so I'm sorry I didn't get to go through everything. But we read through some lyrics from, from Lady Gaga, and that was a good time. And, and, and we, we, we talked about—we read through um, Born This Way um, and the idea that you are born the way you were, but that like you were made as God is. So God made you in his image. Like you were made as he is, and you have become how you are. Um, and, and the truth of when Jesus comes and, and, and Jesus comes into our lives, he comes to, to stick a claim in who God created you to be and not what you've become. So we don't embrace brokenness. We don't embrace these things. Uh, we are where we are and there's grace for where we are. But when Jesus comes, he stick a claim in something much deeper about you than what you even know. Because Jesus, again, he knows your past, he knows your present and he knows your future. And so when he comes, he's not trying to embrace all that you can think of about where you are. He's trying to attain the, the image of God that you were made in. And, and, and he said that he covered you while, in your, while you were in your mother's womb. And he says, you were, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. And then David made this, this amazing claim. He says, it's when I come into the knowledge of the fact that God made me to look just like him, that he made me wonderfully, that he made me beautiful. It's when I come to the point where I can kiss this truth and I realize who I really am, not what I've done, not what people said, like not what I think about me. When I see that God made me as he is. Now, you have to understand that David already came to a conclusion that God is awesome, that God is amazing, that he's all love, that he sees all, that he knows all. There's none like him. And he says, he made you to look like him. And David says, when I come to that conclusion, all I could do is just praise him. David says, all I could do is just praise him. And that's where worship comes from. Worship comes from a place of knowing who you are in relation to who God is. And there's no other thing that you could do but just lay down to that truth and just worship him. You know, that, that's, that's what our time of worship here is about. It's not just about music. It's not, it's not just singing songs and watching people on stage. This is, this is a place where we have come to the awe of God, the awe of his wonder, the awe of his beauty, the awe of his majesty. And you realize how he has positioned you around that. And it causes your soul to evoke songs. It causes, your, it, it causes everything in you to go beyond yourself because a God who is beyond you has, has come to you. And there's nothing that we could do but stand in awe of him. You know, so, and that, that's why we worship. And I never want us to be a people who are entertained by what's going on up here. This is, this is not entertainment. And it's not something we bypass either. You know, um, and, and at 11 o'clock, we, we begin worship. And so that doesn't mean to, to, to come at 11.45 just, just to hear the message. Worship is a part of, of your walk with God. David says, there's something about when I come in contact with the truth about who I am and who he is, it just causes me to, to, to just praise him, to just worship him. And your spiritual walk, if you ever come to know who you are in Christ, it happens in a place of worship. There's a responsiveness that happens during worship. And so don't miss out on that time. If you need to wake up a little earlier, wake up a little earlier, but don't miss corporate worship. There, there, there's something amazing that happens in corporate worship. 
And that means that you need to be here to make it corporate. It's not corporate worship if I'm here. It's corporate worship if we're all here. And there's just something powerful about being around people who know who God is and know who they are in like and in reference to who he is. And so today we're going to pick it up from Psalm 139, verse 19 to 24, which reads, I'm reading from the King James. David says, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. I do not, do I not hate them, O Lord? I said, do I not hate them who hate you? I hate those who hate you. Do I not loathe those who raise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred, and I count them my enemies. This is your Christmas message. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we, we thank you for your goodness, Lord. Jesus, we, we, we thank you that you, you're, just, you're just one who encounters us in ways that you know that we can understand. Holy Spirit, I ask that you begin to move across this room and will you speak in a language that every single person in this room can understand individually. Father, would you present context and, 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 and clues and ideas and pictures that every single person in this room understands personally and individually. Father, would you speak to me and show me things that I don't even understand if, if one person in this room gets it, Father? Holy Spirit, I, I, I thank you for every life that's here. Would you let today be one that has a real encounter with you? A real encounter with you, Jesus. Would you open up ears today? Would you open up hearts? Jesus, you know where we are. You know who we are. And you know the message that we need for today. So we invite you to let it be so. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we, we talked about um, in, in 1 Samuel 13, where God calls David a man after his own heart. God says of David that David is a man after his own heart. And, and there's two important things about when God says this in, in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. God says this about David before David is king. This is really important because David has done nothing amazing. David is not a king yet. David is a shepherd. David was forgotten by his family. David was out in the pastures. He wasn't as good looking as his brothers. He, 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 wasn't, he didn't have the figure that his brothers had. He didn't have the responsibility that his brother had. In fact, when Samuel came to, to find the one who would become king, he bypassed David. They, they bypassed him because there was nothing really special about David. David didn't do anything extraordinary. But God looks at David, and over the king of the Israelites, God looks at a king, and God looks at a shepherd, and God says, it is the shepherd who's the one who's after my heart. And there's something about David, there, there's something about David's heart that God chooses him, that God chooses him to be the king of Israel. The, the second thing that is important to understand about the psalm is that most of these psalms are, are written about something that are, has already happened. So like some of the Psalms are about battles. They're, they're written after the battles have occurred. And so Psalm 139 is the conclusions of David. This is David's conclusion about who God is. So David has walked a walk. He's, he's, he's come to a certain place. And these are his conclusions and what he's learned about who God is. In Psalm 139, what you're seeing is the overflow of a man's heart that's after God. You're seeing the overflow. This is what it looks like when someone is truly after God. And so in the latter part of this psalm, it's, it's, it's difficult then to understand when David talk, talks about slaying the wicked, 
and the bloodthirsty men and, 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 and Hayden. This is, this is one of those things where if you've ever, how, how many of you have ever, guys only, how many of you have ever like fought over a girl? Right? You've like, like, like something happens. Awesome. I'm not the only one. I don't feel so bad anymore. <laughs> I have gotten into fights over girls. And there's something that happens when, when, when you have your beloved, right? And you think about this, if, if, you, if, you're, if you're married or if you have children, then do you think of your beloved? And David is saying, listen, this God who I love, he says, anyone, anyone at all who is against you, they're against me. If anyone speaks ill of you, it's like they're speaking ill of me. It's like there, there is, like, this is the zeal of David's heart. David's like, this is God who sees all, knows all, sees me, knows me, loves me, love you back, kiss him. If, you, if you're against him, if you're against him, bloodthirsty men, I hate who, 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 who you hate. This is, this, is, this is the overflow of a heart of zeal. David even tries to guard the holiness of God from himself. This is, and, and some people may understand something like this. I, I work... To, to even protect my wife from things about me that I know could harm her. So I set myself up to protect her against some of you and some people who are out there, right? So, 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 I, so, so I, I work to protect my wife. I, I guard her, right? Something crazy happens. Like I, I wait a few days before I tell her, you know, because I wanted to, to go away first, you know. Um, if someone doesn't like my wife, like, don't, don't tell me you don't like my wife because we're probably not going to get along well, right? E- even if you don't, just keep it to yourself. But, like, there's something that happens. There's something happens. Like, I guard her and I protect her. And then there's some things that are in me that I need to protect her from as well. And so I become both, both the offender and the protector because I need to guard her from things about me that I know can come up. And it's a difficult place. So David says, search me, O God, and know my heart and try, my, and, and, and try me. See if there's wicked ways in me that, like, I hate them that offend you. I hate me that offend you. I just hate the offense of God's holiness because I have beheld the beauty of God and I'm protecting him from those and I'm protecting him from me because he's beauty, he is holy, he is majesty. David has come to a place where his heart is going after God. This is what it means to have a heart that's after God. He doesn't even count himself because David calls them wicked and he also calls his own ways wicked. David's not just, David's not, this is not self-righteousness. This is not, David says, oh, that you would slay the wicked. And then he says, see if there's any wicked ways in me. Their wickedness comes against you. My wickedness comes against you. I have beheld your beauty, and I'm trying to just, just, just keep this place where I can continually see you. This is a place of humility that David finds himself in. And our final hide-and-go-seek message for today is about the Advent and the Christmas season being about God among us, about God being his gift to us. And, and, and Jesus comes. When Jesus comes, Jesus reveals the heart of who God is. So David just make this simple. David is after God's heart. The Bible never says that David actually grasped it. It says David is after it. And so in all of his zeal, like David never really gets the girl in in that kind of sense, right? David really never gets the thing that he's after. He's after God's heart and he messes up and he falls, but he's running. He sees it. 
He sees him afar. He sees the omnipresence of God. That's what Psalm 139 is about. David sees the omnipresence of God, and he's like, how can I get to it? Who, who do you need to kill so I can get to this presence? What in me needs to die that I can get to this thing, this joy, this goodness? What needs to happen? David is after God's heart. David is after God's heart. But Jesus comes, and the thing that David is after, Jesus brings it. The thing that David is after, Jesus brings it. David is going after the omnipresence. Jesus brings the manifest presence. The thing that you are after, the thing that you are searching for, and the people who you want to kill to get it, the people who needs to vanish from the face of the earth in order for you to get it, the things in you that needs to die in order for you to get it, Jesus comes and he brings it. He brings the thing that David is after. My prayer is that you would just see this. This is the beauty of this season. That's what Christmas is about. The thing that you're chasing after, it turns around and it runs towards you. You've got to understand, you're, you're chasing after God. And in the birth of Christ, God turns around and he starts to run towards you. Some of you don't even know you're chasing after God. You think it's a better job you're after. You think it's a better marriage you're after. You think it's a better education that you're after. You think it's more money. You think it's love. You think it's a new house. You think, it, you think it's all these things that you're after. Think about the stuff that you're working towards. Think about the stuff that you're after. Let me tell you, that's not what you're after. That's the closest thing that you can equate what you're really after to. The closest, the closest thing that you can equate to the, the fulfillment that this thing brings to you, right? There's a certain fulfillment that happens when you have the right job, you got the right friends, you got the good marriage, you got the good kids. Think about if you could ever come to a place where there's nothing really to pray for. Like, I can't really ask God for anything. Everything is great. Think about that. That's what you're after. That's what we're all after. And we may see it as a new job. You may see it as a new house. You may see it as a new relationship. You may see it as a better relationship. You may see it as all these other things. But the thing that you're really after is God. Because only God is going to bring this kind of a fulfillment to you. Only, o- only God is going to fill that gap that you're trying to stuff everything. It's like a vacuum. Like it's this huge vacuum that you can stuff more money in it. It's just going to suck it up. You can put a better job in it. It's going to suck it up. More church attendance. It's going to suck it up. All the stuff you're trying to put in there to get happy, this vacuum is going to suck it all up and only God can plug it good. Only God can come and plug that thing right. And that's what you're chasing after. You call it a job, but it's not a job. You call it money, but it's not money. You call it a better marriage, but it's not a better marriage. You call it all these things. You give it all these names. But what you're after is the presence of God. That's what you're chasing after. And in Christmas, he turns around and he chases after you back. That's what happens. And it's, it's in Jesus that we come
to have the experience of God. This is why Jesus comes. This is, this is why Jesus comes. This is, this is why Jesus comes to give you the experience what you're looking for. So you may not get a better job. You, you may not get the better this, better that. But that, pl- that, that hole that needs to be plugged, that thing gets filled. That's why you meet, like I, I had a friend of mine who I used to work with. He's an atheist. And we were doing, we, we were arguing once. And, um, and, and I, only, I only argue with, with friends. I don't argue with people who are, who are, not, who are not my friends. Um, because I can say certain things to friends that I can't say to people who are not friends. And so I only argue with people who already love me, right? So, you, 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 no, it's, no, no, seriously, I try not to argue with people who don't love me because it doesn't make any sense because we're just going to fight to win. But with friends, you're actually trying to get somewhere. And so it works a lot better. Um, so like we're doing some statistics and we're trying to find out because he's trying to prove that it is the poor and the uneducated that believe in God. And so we start doing these numbers on different communities and, and their, their income. And we're looking at their income and, and, their like, and the population of Christianity. And we're seeing that like, like where there's like low income, there's higher faith. And then where there's high income, there's lower faith. And he's like, his conclusion was stupid people believe in God. Poor people believe in God. My, my, my conclusion was people who find what they're looking for need search no more. There's something that happens when you're looking to fill the gaping hole and you find God, you could still be poor and be completely content. You cannot have the best job. And there's just, have you ever met people like this? Who is like, your situation is not that great, but you're really happy. And either you're faking or you're crazy. But the third option, but there's probably a little bit of both. But, but the third option is that they have found this thing that brings peace. The hole has been plugged. And so you want to throw more ideas at them. Like, get a better this. Get more of this. And they're like, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy because I have found the thing that I'm looking for. And this is why it, it's one of those things that I never really got until I, I was a little bit older in the Lord. And it just made sense to me. Like, you find what you're looking for, you stop looking. Married people. You find what you're looking for, you stop looking. It may not be everything you expected it to be but you stop looking. And if you're looking, stop looking. (laughs) I'm going to stop. Sometimes I go off on on, on these, I'm I'm, going to stop myself there. I'm going to stop myself before I say something that evokes emails. But you find what you're looking for and you stop looking. So if you're still looking, you haven't found what you're looking for. Matthew 26, 51. So let's, let's look at David's thing in terms of the New Testament, right? So David's like bloodthirsty men, want to kill them, hate them who hate you. Like, I love you so much that I hate everything that goes against you. And so David is running after God. But this is, there's something that happens when God turns around and he runs into you. He takes that zeal and, and it looks a little bit different. Matthew 26, verse 51. Um, this is when Jesus gets arrested, Right? And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servants of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to them, put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Right? 
So Jesus is about to get arrested. Jesus has his boys with him. And like the, those who have come to arrest him are with him and they're accusing him and they're about to, and as soon as someone puts a hand on, on Jesus, one of Jesus' boys draws a sword and cuts off the ear. And this is like, David, David's like, oh, that you would slay the wicked, depart from me. Um, do I not hate those who hate you? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? So if Jesus is God, why wouldn't he say, everyone draw your swords and cuts off ears because this is, they hate me. But Jesus comes, and this is what he's bringing. He's bringing the heart of God. See, David sees the manifest presence of, David sees the omnipresence of God out there. He sees what God is like, and he's willing to fight in his own strength. But when God comes, God is saying, listen, I, I get the zeal, but put your sword away. Because now you're coming in contact with the heart of who God is. This is the heart of who God is. You can see God from afar and see God do things from afar, and all you're going to do is interpret it how you want to. This is how religions are birthed. You see God do something one time from afar, and you're like, oh, that's how you do it. So every single time we do the same thing because we think that that is the pattern of how we get to God, right? Jesus comes and Jesus says, that's not, I understand your zeal, but put your sword away. That's not what we're after. Luke 9, 54. They go to the Samaritan village and the Samaritans don't accept Jesus. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't receive him. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, this is Luke 9, verse 54, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Do we not hate those who hate you? That your enemies are not, our, are not our enemies? Do we not like call on fire to just get rid of them? Verse 55, but Jesus rebuked them and said, you do not know the manner of the spirit that you're of. Jesus is bringing the heart of God. Jesus is bringing something that David did not have. David was after God's heart. God's heart came in the person of Christ. And there's a revelation about who God is that's given to us that David did not have. David, David did not understand the, the pulse of God's love. And so he was responding to what he saw from afar. But Jesus comes and he's reteaching how to follow God. He's, he's reteaching the heart of who God is. Uh, last one, Matthew 5, verse 17. Jesus says, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I came to fulfill it. He came to fulfill everything that we believed about who God is. He, he came to be the fulfillment, right? So David was, David was trying to get to something, and he thought that this is how it needed to happen because he saw God afar off. But Jesus comes and, 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 and said, listen, I came to be the completion of this thing. I came to be the completion of the expectation and the ideas of what you have about who God is. Matthew 5, verse 43, you've heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, right? So this is, this is what David knew. David understood, love those who love you and hate those who hate you, right? This is, this is, this is ideas that come to us naturally. This is what David thought. David was after God's heart. And he's like, he's like this is why I hate people who hate God, because, because we're supposed to love our neighbors and we're supposed to hate our enemies. But Jesus comes and Jesus brings to us the heart of our God. Not, not listen, not the rules of our God. 
not the pattern of how to follow. He comes and he brings us the very nature of who God is. And in the nature of who God is, Jesus, Jesus says, but this is what I tell you. Try this on for size. It's easy to do that. Love your enemies, though. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Think of some names and faces. I'm going to read it again. (laughs) Right? No, really. Let's do this. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. This is, this is a good one. Pray for those who spitefully use you. How many of you have been used? All right, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Jesus is bringing the heart of God. He's, he's bringing the, it's like, what? I, I thought that you were righteousness and you hated sin. He's like, yeah, I do. But this is, but this is how it's dealt with. He's, he's bringing us something almost heaven-like. This is what real righteousness is like. This is, this, is what, this, is what, this is why God becomes a person. He becomes a person because he wants to take your relationship with God to the next level to where it's not just you understand who God is and God understands who you are. You start to be transformed into the likeness of who God is. Verse 45 says that, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same. He says, when Jesus comes into the picture, listen, guys, Jesus isn't just, Jesus isn't trying to confirm to you what you already believe about God. Jesus is not your confirmation. Jesus is your revelation of God. Jesus is coming to show you that the heart of God, the heart of God is for people. He's coming to show you that the heart of God, though, though it is all righteous and any and all unrighteousness that comes up against it shall fall, that even though it looks like that, if you want to partner with who God is, this is what it looks like. It says it's not taking out your sword. It's not cursing those who curse you. It says if you want to do warfare with God, if, if you want to go after what God is after, pray for your enemies. Love those who hate you. The, those who backstabbed you. Those who betrayed you. That's how the kingdom of God comes into the earth. This is why Jesus comes to show you something different other than what you thought. Now that's difficult. That's the difficult thing that Jesus comes to show us about who God is. This is, this is, this is unprecedented territory. No one would ever think that the God of the universe was passive. This is passive. This is like you let people walk all over. This is passive. This is why they expected a God who would come triumphantly on a white horse and slay off the heads of the Romans and take the throne. But he comes on a donkey, low and meek. It's not the kind of God we expected. But Jesus comes to show us Not the God that we already think of, that David knew, who saw all and knew all and all-powerful. That's not the God that Jesus came to show you. You already have that kind of a God. But he's come to show you the rest of God, the heart of God, the humility of God. That's the part that he wants to touch in your life. That's the part that he's trying to give us. 
That's why he wasn't born in the top floor of Baptist Hospital. Because he's trying to show you something about who God is that you never thought would ever exist. Many religions have this mighty, powerful God. But God comes and says, yeah, I'm mighty and powerful too. Right? The true God is mighty and powerful. But this is how it's displayed. One, in humanity. And, and second, in this kind of a love that is unprecedented for God. And this is what he invites us to, and this is what he calls us to. So let's look at a practical application of this, right? So again, something practical. So, so Jesus comes, um, uh, first, second, second Colossians says that the fullness of God dwells in Christ, right? So everything that God is dwells in the person of Christ. And so many people have this idea of a huge, big God that, you know, just saw powerful. He says, but the fullness of him. The rest of him, the heart of him, also dwells in the person of Christ. So let's look at Romans 7, verse 15, and we'll end with this verse. This is Paul writing. Paul says, For what I am doing, I do not understand. Nobody's going to amen? No? For what I'm doing, I do not understand. <laughs> you guys will amen the, the good stuff. If you understand everything you're doing, then you, please call me because I'm trying to get there too. I'm trying to understand. There's some things that I'm doing that I don't understand. Amen, Paul. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. Come on. What I, what I want to do, I don't do that thing. Come on. You've got to get in the spirit of what Paul is saying here. Paul says, I, I don't know what I'm doing. And the things I want to do, I don't do it. This is, Paul is lost. This is, Paul is lost. Right? He's like, I don't know what I'm doing. He says, and what I hate, that's what I do. So there's some things that I do that I hate. I had this temper. I, I, I lashed out. I had haunty eyes. I, I looked where I shouldn't have looked. I said what I shouldn't have. I, I did the things I hate. Let me, let me put my finger here. Let me, let me tell you something. Well, one of the things that I have found I, I have found that some of the stuff that you see in people that you hate, I'm going to take this back to Psalm 139 to the end of the verse there for me, please. Some of you see where this is going. You're like, I found myself there in a little bit. Go back to Psalm 139. I'm going to pull away. Man, I'm early. I'm good. Listen, there, there, there is something like the end of the verse, um, the very last, last verse. Uh, go to verse 24. All right. There is something about what you don't understand that you do that you hate. There's something about what, the, all, all that Paul is writing about. Let me tell you, the thing that you see in other people that you hate, the reason why you see it is because it's like a mirror. And you hate that thing in you, but you manifest it in the hate for other people. This is why David says, see if there's any wicked in me. Because before that, David says, oh, slay the wicked. David could easily see wicked people because he knew there was something in him to search about wickedness. The, the thing that you can easily see, some of you are saying, well, I just have good discernment. That's my spiritual gifting. My spiritual gifting is to see, I'm a seer. Let me tell you something about being a seer. Everything that God does through you, he works it through you. Everything that God does through you for someone else, it has to come through you first. Right? I have a water hose. Every time the water leaves the spigot and it goes to where I want it to go, it has to go through the hose. Right? 
Otherwise, the hose is not being used. So everything that God does through you, he, he does it through you, and it affects you in some kind of way, right? You see what you see in people because you recognize it. Now, how would you recognize that? How, how would you recognize that? Some of you have really good discernment for when someone just had bad intentions because you know that place. You know that place. Whenever someone, I'm, I'm going to ruin some relationships today. Whenever someone comes, whenever someone comes and tells you, I got a bad feeling about this person. It's like, ask them why. There has to be something in you that recognize, it's like kindred spirits. There's something about you that I recognize in me that I hate. Paul said, there's some things that I hate that I do. I recognize when other people do it. And I'm going to call it out when you do it. But when I do it, I need you to have a little bit of grace and I don't want to tell anyone. And that's, that's, that's what Paul, so when, when, when Paul starts to write and, and, and Paul says, I hate that thing which I do. If you understand Paul's writing, Paul, Paul writes against this very idea. Paul writes against the very thing that he's saying. And he, he teaches us how to not do this thing that he's saying that he does. Verse 16 of Romans 7. If then I do what I will not do, that I will not to do, I agree that the law is good. But if now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me, for I know that in me, that which is my flesh, nothing good dwells. For the spirit and the will that's present within me says, how do I perform what is good if I, if I do not find good? And in verse 19, he, he, he talks about the will to do good and that he practices evil. And he's talking about this conflict he's, he's having. He wants to do good, but he doesn't do good. And he's trying to find out why he doesn't do the good he wants to do. He doesn't like evil, but he does evil. And he's trying to find out why he does the evil that he doesn't want to do. And, and I'm going to make a statement as we wrap up here. And my statement, I don't have any more verses, is as follows. There is, there is nothing wrong. Let me finish b- b- before, especially people who are under 20. L- listen to everything. There, there, there is nothing wrong with doing what you want to do. So like one of the greatest complaints that I get from people, especially in like relationships and, and, and from parents and children and etc., is like they just do whatever they want to do. And everyone just kind of wants to do whatever they want to do. Like, like all of you. No one wants to listen to direction and take instruction and have oversight. That's why I started my own business, be my own boss, move out of my parents' house, be my own man, be my own woman, get out of that marriage. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to be held down. I don't want to be tied down. I, I want to do whatever I want to do. I, I, I want to have enough money to go where I want to go. I want to have a car. I can drive when I want to drive. I need independence. I want to do whatever I want to do. And there, there, there's, there's nothing wrong with that, with doing whatever you want to do. When Jesus comes into the picture, Jesus changes what you want to do. This is what the heart of God is about. The heart of God is not about usurping and taking away the passion for doing what you want to do, because then you, oh, you're only left to religion. You're, you're only left to dead religion if you have no passion for doing what you want to do anymore. 
When Jesus comes, he doesn't kill the part of you that wants to do what you want to do. Now, that's what we do when we can't keep people under control. When we can't keep people under control, we slay the parts of them that wants to do what they want to do, and we tell them, you do what I want you to do. And thus, religion is birthed. But God doesn't want to take away the part of you that wants to do what you want to do. He just wants to change what you want to do. He wants to align you with righteousness. So that way, when you do whatever you want to do, you're doing the right thing. It feels good to run on the right track. Let me tell you a little story. On Monday morning of last week, um, I take Mondays off, right? And, and on Monday, I, I, I woke up and I decided I'm going to go running. Um, I hadn't been, been running for like at least like a, a month or so. And, and, and I got up and I was like, I really want to go running today. And, and I got up and I put on my sweatpants, got my shoes, and, and then the kids were up. And, and my wife, she's pregnant. She was tired, you know. So she's like, oh, can, can you just take the kids with you or like later? I was like, you know what? I'll take them with me now. So like I'll put them in the stroller and I'll go for a run. It, uh, I have two kids. I was just going to take one of them. And then the other one woke up. I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll take them both. Right? And, and, and so now I, this is, I wanted to put in my headphones and go running by myself. Right? That's what I wanted to do. So now I have one kid with me. And then and now I have two kids with me. And I have this huge stroller. And I'm like, you know, all right, so here's what I'm going to do instead. So my idea was I need to work out, stay healthy, all this kind of, this is, a, this is a good idea that I had, right? I woke up with a great idea. All of a sudden, there's some other factors that came in there. Now I'm like, you know what? Because I have the two kids in the stroller, I'm going to put it in the van and I'm going to drive to the park instead of walking because we live like right across the street from the park. So like, I'm going to drive to the park instead of walking to the park. So now, and now I have the, the van and I have the stroller and I have the kids in the seat and I pull out to the stop sign and I'm getting, you know what? I'm going to get some coffee first. Now, 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 I'm in my sweatpants, I'm in my John clothes, I'm like, all right, I'm going to get some coffee, just a small coffee, just a little sip, and when I get a little coffee, it's going to give some energy, because now I've got to push this huge cart with these, with, these, with these kids in it, so I need the extra energy. So I go to the McDonald's down the street, and, and, and I get a little cup of coffee. I'm like, you know, let me get a McGriddle. I don't know if you know what, <laughs> I don't know if you know what a McGriddle is. A McGriddle is the opposite of working out. <laughs> that, that is, Whatever the office is working out, that's what the McGriddle is. So now I'm in line at McDonald's with the kids. I'm like, just get four hash browns. The kids want hash browns. So I'm like, just get hash browns all around. Get some hash browns. Like, got a McGriddle. A McGriddle is like a pancake sandwich. So it's like pancakes on both sides, and they stick like bacon and eggs and, with, with cheese. And I'm like, all right, cool. So I'm still, I'm, okay, maybe I'll just walk instead of running. So, so I'm like, instead of like running with the stroller, now I'm just going to walk, right? And so I have this great idea. I go now and I pull up to the park. And I'm like, all right, so, so here we go. We're going to just walk. Long story short, by the end of the day, I'm walking to the park, eating a McGriddle, drinking coffee, and the kids are just running around. And I am doing the exact opposite. People are like running hard, sweating. I'm just having a, I'm eating a, I'm eating a death sandwich, drinking coffee in a place where my intention was to go and work out. That was my intention. Now, I don't know how many of you have had those days where you started off wanting to do something great. And by the end of your day, you did something the opposite of what you wanted to do. The exact opposite, right? But, but, but here, here, is, here is the good news, and, and, and this is the point that I want to make. The point I want to make is, is, is that the freedom to be able to do that, the freedom to be able to do that, you have to continue to have that freedom, 
right? And so it's not a matter of creating rules for your life in order to keep you on track to where you will constantly do this. That's not, that's, that's not the highest point. of what, When Jesus comes, he changes the heart of what you want to do. You may not hit that mark all the time. I went running this morning, right? And I went running a few times in the week also, right? But, but the heart of what I wanted to do, some of you are like, I don't even want to go running, right? And so what I'm saying is when Jesus comes, he first changes the heart. He's giving you the heart of God. He's showing you what God is like, and he's giving you what God is like. And so where you wanted to like slay your enemies, he's like, yeah, yeah. like, but God has all this power. And, and, and so here's, here's why you pray for your enemies. For those of you who are like, why, why the heck would I pray for my enemies? Here's, here's why. Because if you're given the authority to cut off ears and you have a sword and you can do it and you don't do it, you extend something that looks like the heart and the love of God in such an unprecedented way. When people of power who, who, who can wipe you out extend to you the opposite, it is amazing. When someone who doesn't have power doesn't, like, okay. When someone who can't kill you doesn't kill you, it doesn't mean anything. When someone who can kill you doesn't kill you, it means something. So, so what I'm saying is you have the authority to kill people. And Jesus is saying, if you really want to show them what's good, don't kill them. But some of you think that you don't have the authority to kill people, and that's why you're killing people. But Jesus says, you have a sword. And I just want to teach you how to use it, so I give you the heart. And it's the change of heart that Jesus comes to bring to us. Not, not the change of behavior. He comes to give us the heart of who God is. That, is. that is what Christmas is about. Christmas is about Jesus bringing us the heart, the very nature, the pulse of who God is, that you would know what God is like. When Jesus comes, Jesus comes to take the somewhere out there God, the God that you know who's somewhere out there, and he makes him right here. So the God that's somewhere out there becomes the God that's right here, and he reveals the heart of God to you. You, you thought that God was watching you and that God knows you and that the bad things that are happening in your life is because God is punishing you. And, and if I could just rip that idea from you today, I, uh, that, that's, that's what my aim is. That when, that when Jesus comes, Jesus comes to give you the heart of God. I said last week that when you become a Christian, it's not that you give your life to Jesus. It's about Jesus giving his life to you and you saying yes. That's, that's what it means to become a Christian. That, that's what it means to follow Jesus. It's that you're receiving his life. We hope you enjoyed this message from the Doral Vineyard Church by Denville Leafs. For more information, please visit us at doralvineyard.org.